meet you yet. Last week, we actually started a series that we were calling Holidays with a Z. How many of you know sometimes the holiday has the ability to put you in a daze? And uh, what we talked about last week was learning to deal with difficult people. How many of you guys have some difficult people in your life? And sometimes when we deal with difficult people, the knee-jerk reaction that we have is not to deal with them, <laughs> right? It's to cut them off. And so we talk through and we look through how do we deal with that. Um, so that's actually on the podcast if you want to go back and listen to that. But this week, what I want to talk about is something that is often disregarded in the church. It's something that not many people talk about. It's not a topic that comes up in the church because oftentimes we over-spiritualize it and we just tell people that they need to pray more and it's an issue that they shouldn't really be dealing with and that's depression. Um, it, it's an issue that we call mental illness. It's an issue that if you're struggling with it today that oftentimes people will look at you and think like, why are you dealing with that? I thought you loved Jesus. Right? Maybe when you were growing up, maybe you felt those tendencies, maybe you felt that heaviness, and maybe you went to somebody and you said, hey, I don't know why I feel these things, I don't know why I feel this cloud, I don't know why I feel this darkness, and they said, well, you just need to pray more. You just need to submit your thoughts to Jesus, right? Maybe they gave you a scripture and then you walk away and you go, how does that help me? How does that practically help me? And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about how do we deal with that? How do we deal with depression? How do we deal with anxiety? Because I don't know if you know this, but this is a proven statistic. It says that people deal with depression 50% more than they normally do during the holidays. Why is that? Well, it, it's like that because oftentimes you're going to come in face to face with a family member that you haven't seen in a long time. Maybe it's somebody that took advantage of you, or maybe you're going to sit down at a holiday table and realize that your relationship status is different than it was last year. Or, or maybe a loved one is not going to be there. So the holiday brings and it drums up all these feelings, all these emotions that we're walking through. And the truth is the only way that we're ever going to fight that is learning to fight the battle in our mind. How many of you know that oftentimes the greatest wars and battles that you will ever face will not be physical, but it'll be right here? It'll be your thoughts. It'll be the things that wage war inside of your mind. Here's what I have learned. The truth is whatever has your mind has you. Whatever grabs a hold of your thoughts has you. Whatever grabs a hold of your mind will eventually not stay in the mind, but it will manifest itself with your physical actions. It will grab a hold of your heart, and eventually it will transform who you are. Why? Because the things that have your mind are the things that get you. So today I want to talk about how do we guard this? How do we take care of it? How do we steward our mind? How do we win the battle in our mind? So I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 3 through 5. And this is a very familiar passage, especially if, you're, if we were talking about dealing with our thoughts and our mind and all that kind of stuff. But I want to read it a little bit differently. Because if you've been here long enough, you've heard me say this multiple times. But oftentimes the things familiar to us specifically scriptures that we've read over and over and over, we begin to lose the wonder of them. We begin to lose what they're actually trying to say. So let's read it and we'll pause a little bit. For though we walk in the flesh, in our human bodies, we are not waging war according to the flesh. What is he saying right there? What does that mean? Here's what he's saying. Your enemy is not your spouse. Your enemy is not your partner. And you're like, oh, yes, they are. <laughs> 
They are dead. Your enemy is not your father, it's not your mother, it's not your brother, it's not your sister. He says, he's about to say, the enemy that we deal with is something spiritual. It's something supernatural. He says, for the weapons of warfare are not flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So here's what he's saying. The true battles that you face every single day are not against physical people, but it's the thoughts that you think about what everybody else is thinking about you. Right? So it's their, somebody else's perception of you. You ever have somebody, you're like, hey, check out this shirt. Do you like this shirt? Like, yeah, I love this shirt. And you walk away and you're like, they hated it. <laughs> they hated it. And I know they think all these negative things about me. It's this battle in your mind. But what Paul is actually trying to tell us right here, he says, listen, if you're not after this pursuit daily to guard your mind to pursue the Lord, you're walking into war with no weapon. He says, you don't have a, you don't have a weapon to fight this battle. I don't know about you, but if I got called tomorrow to be enlisted into the army, the first thing that I would ask is, where's my gun? <laughs> and how do I use this thing? Why? I'm not a big dude, but if I have a gun, you're going to run. <laughs> right? You, you want to know how to use this weapon properly. Teach me how to aim. Teach me how to fire correctly. Teach me how to assemble this gun. And here's the problem. The reason that many Christians walk away from the faith or say, oh, this whole Jesus thing is just too difficult because you have no weapons. You're diving into this battle and guess what? You're getting slaughtered and you have no way to defend yourself. So what Paul is saying, he said, your enemy is not your flesh and blood. It's not your spouse. He says, the only way that you fight is by daily coming before the Lord and saying, God, take these thoughts. He says, watch this, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. A few things to notice in this scripture. Number one, every fight, every fight starts in the mind. Every single battle starts in the mind. Now he mentions something in this scripture that is so important. He says, when you go to battle, with that thought, with that depression, with that anxiety, with that fear, he said, you stay there till you destroy it. And here's what happens with most of us. We get into the moment, all right, today's going to be the day that I fight, and we go, nope, don't feel like it, and we move on. Today's going to be the day that I'm going to dive into this, and I'm going to defeat depression, and God, and we want to pray, and God helps us. So maybe one day we stick it out, and then the next day we're not, it's too hard. There's pain that's associated with it. Paul says, no, you stay there until it's destroyed. I don't know about you, but if you're going to destroy strongholds in your life, can I tell you why the, reason, the main reason, the primary reason that most of us don't do it? Because to destroy something, it requires significant pain. It hurts. It puts you through a process that most of us don't want to walk through, and we go, that must not be God, right? But every day we enter into this battle this mental battle, this war. And the scripture says that we're to take every thought captive and make it submit to the Lord. Now, here's the catch. When you're struggling with depression, the last thing that you want to hear is somebody say, just submit your thoughts to the Lord. <laughs> right? Oh, I know you're down. I know, I know life is tough. Just take your thoughts captive. You're like, how does that help me? Right? How do I do that? How do we do it when it seems like you have all the best intentions? 
Every single person that's here today has the best intentions, right? You're here because you want to grow. You're here because you want to know God. You're here because you want to go deeper. But how many of you know your intentions have often steered you wrong? Because <laughs> when you want to do the right thing, sometimes you end up finding yourself doing the thing that you don't want to do. How many of you know your mind has a mind of its own sometimes? <laughs> have you ever woke up and said, today is the day that I work out? Tomorrow is the day. Next month. Right? We have the best intentions. But oftentimes, our actions don't follow our intentions, do they? We want to think a certain way, and we end up thinking something that we, not, that we ought to. I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting down, reading the Bible, and I'm like, God, today I'm just going to pursue you. And then all of a sudden, I'm reading, and I'm like, I need to go to Walmart to fix this. I need to get this. And all of a sudden, it's like this list begins creating, right? And you're distracted. Or maybe you're here and you say, you know what? I'm here because I want my marriage to look a certain way. I'm here because I, I believe that God can restore me. And we genuinely believe that. Here's what I understand about God, especially when you're fighting the battle of your mind. God never, ever gives you a silver bullet. He's not, if, if you're going through depression right now, no, this is probably not what you want to hear. He's not like, you know, today I'm going to heal you. Here's what he says. Come on a journey with me and I'll show you how to live. We're going to go on this journey and there's going to be some things because I care about your integrity, because I care about your character, I'm just going to begin to shave it off piece by piece. And that is painful. It's the reason that many of us run away from it. I don't know about you, but my mind constantly seems to misfire. Constantly. I have the best intentions with certain things. There's things where I know the facts, I know the truth, but yet I still choose to believe a lie. If you're there this morning, you're in good company. Paul says this in Romans 7. He says, I don't do the good I want to. Instead, I do the evil I hate. How many of you have been there? You're like, I have all the best intentions, but I keep doing the things that I don't want to do. Now here's the good news. The Bible says so many good things about renewing and strengthening our mind. It talks about submitting our minds and bringing our thoughts into captivity. There's at least a hundred principles in the scripture that talk about strengthening our mind. The truth is your mind is one of the greatest assets that you have. And if you're not taking care of it, here's the danger. If the enemy can get your mind, he can get your heart. Because if he can get you to believe a lie about something, eventually he permeates everything. See, depression is an all-out epic battle right here. It's thoughts going haywire. It's all these things swirling around in your head that you feel like you have no control over, right? So today I want to help you strengthen your mind. I have three principles that I think literally are rooted in scripture to help you. Number one, sounds very simple, but it's so true. Stop believing everything you're thinking. Stop believing everything you're thinking. We naturally feel, if we feel something, it must be true, right? Like my gut is just telling me that this is the way that it's supposed to be. I told this story in the first service. When I was eight years old, my mom sat us all down and she's like, 
as a family, she's like, I got to show the family my favorite movie. It was Mary Poppins. It's the first and last time I ever watched it. <laughs> There's a scene in there, if you've seen it, you remember it. She has this umbrella, and she's floating around on this umbrella. I'm eight years old, an eight-year-old kid with the biggest imagination possible. Everything that I saw on TV, I thought that you could do it. I saw it and I'm like, oh, I want to be Mary Poppins floating around with an umbrella. Next day, I'm on my parents' roof with an umbrella. Eight years old. I'm like, dude, I'm about to float so high. (laughs) And I jumped off and for about a split second, I'm like, it's working until I realized this sharp pain in my legs. I'm like, I came straight down. My mom's panicking, freaking out. Oh my God, he just jumped off the roof. I was like, it's your fault. You showed me Mary Poppins. (laughs) How many know you can't do everything that you think you can? There's this weird self-help ideology that most of us buy into. If you think it, you can become it. The truth is it's very difficult because oftentimes most of us are thinking and believing a lie. So the hard part is we actually end up becoming somebody that we don't want to be and somebody that God never said that we were. (laughs) The truth is, every single person in this room, whether you want to recognize it, grapple with it, with or not, we all have a mental illness. It's called sin. And the Bible uses at least a dozen different phrases for the conditions our minds are in underneath sin. This is what it says. I'm going to give you a few, few of them really quickly. Our minds are confused. Deuteronomy puts it this way. The Lord will send on you curses of confusion. Never saw that one on a coffee cup. Right? There's no Christian t-shirt that ever printed that one. It's like, this is my favorite Bible verse. Scripture says that our minds are anxious enclosed. Job puts it this way, who will make me secure? You have closed their hearts to understand. Goes on to say that our minds are evil and restless. For all this day are full of sorrow and irritation. How many of you ever just get irritated and you don't even know why? If you have kids, it's easy to get irritated. We took family photos yesterday. Six children. All of them were smiling except one. Peter. So you go from, son, when we get out of here, any candy you want is yours. Anything. Slushy. You want a slushy? You want a shake? Anything you want to eat, we will get it for you. Just one smile. I can't. And then it goes from bribing to, son, I'm about to tear your butt straight out. Right? <laughs> He still wouldn't smile. Our minds are evil. They're restless. They're rash. They're deluded. They're irritated. The Bible talks about a troubled mind, a depraved mind, a sinful mind, a dull mind, a blinded mind, a corrupt mind. Our minds, whether you want to grapple with it or not, are broken by sin, which means this. Hear me on this. You can't even trust yourself. You can't even trust yourself. And listen, if you've bought into the ideology, well, everybody in my life has hurt me, so the only person that I'm going to trust, even scripture says, don't trust yourself. 
So what do you do? Oh God, I got nobody else to trust but me. Listen, if you bought into this, listen to this scripture in Jeremiah 17, 19. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? What is he saying? He said, there's not even a human on earth outside of Jesus that can even understand the human heart. And this is how we know this. We say that we want to do things all the time. You have the best, every gym in January is going to be full. You're like, dude, this year is the year to get that summer body, <laughs> right? I can't wait to take my shirt off at the beach and go, look at all this progress. And January goes around for like seven days, it's packed, and then everybody's gone. Right? Because we can't even trust ourselves. Why can't we trust ourselves? Because we have this amazing ability to lie to ourselves. We have this incredible ability to lie to ourselves. So, so let me give you an example. We tell ourselves that things aren't as bad as they really are all the time. So it's like something that we do to try to encourage it. It's not that bad when it's really bad. <laughs> or we tell ourselves that things are better than they really are. Or we tell ourselves that we're doing okay when we're not. We tell ourselves it's no big deal when it's a big deal. Jeremiah is saying you can't even trust yourself. That's why every thought that you have, you have to question it. That's what it means by submitting your thoughts to the Lord. Every thought that runs through your mind that causes you to believe, well, I'm, I'm worthless, I'm nothing. When you begin to submit that to the Lord and you begin to read the scriptures and there's not a single page, a single word that says you're worthless and you begin to weigh those things out. And then you find that there's not a single word, a single page that says that God can never forgive you. There's not a single word, there's not a single page that says that God won't restore you. And you begin to buy into the fact that, oh my goodness, I can't believe everything that I think. This is the reason why we have so many Christians that leave the faith. Why? Because they've bought into their own lies. Nobody loves me. Nobody understands me. The reason I don't dive into community is because nobody has the problems that I do. And nobody's going to understand. Nobody's walked through what I've walked through. You know what the amazing thing about community is? All you got to do is sit around the table, and in about five minutes, you realize you're not the only crazy person there. You're like, they're all crazy. <laughs> all of them. Everybody has issues. There's not a single person in here that's like, dude, I'm just killing life right now. <laughs> I don't fall at all. 1 John 1.8 says this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. The biggest reason you need to stop believing everything that you're thinking is that we often see what we want to see. Now, let me give you a little science lesson. So the optic nerve is the only nerve that goes directly to your brain. It's the only nerve that goes directly to your brain. Now, I never knew this. This is fascinating. The optic nerve actually sends impulses from your brain forward, then from your eye backwards. So let me explain what this means. Your eyes without your brain would see everything upside down. 
So you're already preconditioned to just trust that your brain is seeing things correctly. <laughs> right? We already see things upside down and our brain corrects it. That's why you can put people at the scene of a car accident, four of them, and they'll all see different things. We're all standing in the same scene, the same place, the same environment, and you can interview each four of them, and they'll all have a different story. No, that car ran that red light. No, I didn't see that. He ran the stop sign. No, they got into the You know what I'm saying? People see what they want to see. The reason we can't trust ourselves is because we can all be in a certain situation, the same one, and watch this. You could have two people walk away from a conversation and two people be offended and two people be encouraged. All at the same time. Same conversation. You're like, man, that was an encouraging conversation. And two people walk away and go, I can't believe they said that to me. And you're like, wait, what? We see what we want to see. We must remind ourselves not to believe everything that we think because everything that we think is not always true. So this leads me to point two. Fight to distinguish between fact and feeling. Especially when you're dealing with anxiety, fear, depression, shame, worry, guilt. Now let me give a little disclaimer about this point. This point, fight to distinguish between fact and feeling, cannot be done alone. It has to be done in community. I'm just telling you, I know, we, I know for many of us who are just naturally introverted, we hate this. Right? You cannot live the fullness that God has for you alone. You can't. And I know some of you have convinced yourselves, well, it's just, it's just me and God, because he's the only one that understands me. Do you know this, that not even God lives alone? It's written on the very first pages of Scripture. That God hovered over the deep, and they begin to create in their image God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He doesn't even live alone. What makes us think we can? We need each other. 90% of the time in the midst of depression, your feelings have zero connection to reality. Zero connection to reality. Because depression is this haywire of thoughts in the brain. Misfiring and going off and overthinking every simple thing. The best way that I can explain, explain it is this. If you, I'm about to save your life, okay? If you ever find yourself stuck in quick stand, they say you need to stand still. And the farthest that you'll sink if you stand still is up to your knees. It's the farthest you can go if you stand still. Now, how many of you know if you're singing in quick stand, all you can think is, this is going to get over my head, I'm going to die, and you freak out. <laughs> right? You begin to panic. And you start, you're trying to grab everything, you're freaking out. And the more that you move, the more that you sink. That's what depression is like. So here's what I want you to understand today. And I know this is difficult. How do you break free in the midst of depression? In the midst of anxiety? You learn to quiet everything and just stand still. So what does that look like, practically? It means that you go into your bedroom and you don't bring your phone. You lock the door. All right, God, I'm here. I got to sit in quiet so I can figure out what's going on. If you sit in silence long enough, you'll find out what's really in your heart. It's a lost art in our culture, silence and solitude, but it's so necessary. It's such a necessary spiritual practice to just sit there. 
The reason many of us don't know what's going on is because we're so distracted. We have things that constantly occupy our brainwaves. TV, Facebook, Netflix, all kinds of technology. This summer, we were in a pool that has like a gradual slope. And my fourth son, the one who did not smile at pictures, <laughs> we're in this pool and it's literally two feet of water. He's four years old. He can clearly stand up in two feet of water. He can't swim yet, but he can stand in water. So this summer, he's walking, and the pool on the bottom was a little slippery, and he slips, and he falls in two feet of water, and he's panicking. He's thinking, you know, as a, as a four-year-old, I'm dying. <laughs> I'm going to drown. And my last image is going to be my dad looking at me, laughing at me. <laughs> But if he would have stopped for a moment, he would have heard me saying, Peter, stand up. Peter, stand up. I can't. I'm going to die. Peter, stand up. That's what most of us look like in the midst of depression and anxiety. If you fight to distinguish between fact and feeling and what's really going on, you realize that you're actually drowning in two feet of water and God's just saying, stand up. Stand up. You begin to realize, okay, it's not that crazy. And maybe your circumstances are. Maybe they're bad. Maybe you've been fighting things for a long time. But here's what I do understand. If you try to process your life through the circumstances, through the dark lenses of depression, you'll always be terrified. You try to process your life through the lenses that you're viewing right now, that's why we need community to say, hey, this is what I'm feeling. Is this true? Is this what God really thinks about me? Is this what he really says about me? See, because depression turns our brain into a swirling half-mass of half-truths. And we begin to believe everything. So we have to get to a place where we go, you know what, God? I'm just going to stand still. And we get to a place where I have to realize that there's certain things in my life that I have zero control over. Some of the things that have been done to you, you have no control over. Can I, and, and the reason that we continue to worry, because worry gives us a sense of control. It feels like we still can somewhat alter the situation by just constantly worrying about it. Here's what I had to learn, and I wrote this down at the beginning of the year in my journal. And I think it'll be helpful for you. We have to remember that faith is not a feeling. Faith is believing that God will do what he said even when it doesn't feel like he will. <laughs> like God is still faithful even when you don't feel him. The promises of God still stand even when you've blown it. Like the promise in scripture that says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Some of you have taken that he'll never leave you nor forsake you but I've done all these things so maybe there's a possibility that he's left me. No, that's a fact. God says that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And there was no contingencies on that fact. I can guarantee you when you're depressed, it won't feel like God's faithful. But you have to learn to distinguish between fact and feeling. The fact is that he's with you no matter what you walk through. The fact is, scripture teaches us that you're a son and you're a daughter of God and he's pleased with you. The fact is that there's nothing that you could do here on this earth that will make him any more proud of you. 
fact is, is when you submitted and surrendered your life to Jesus, he's, he made a commitment to be with you. He's not running out on you. Here's what you have to understand. God is not human. <laughs> so the way that your dad treated you, that's not the way he's going to treat you. The way that your mother treated you, that's not the way that he treats you. Maybe you had a dad that said, I, I promise I'll always be there. And there was times when he was and there was times when he was out. That's not God. God says, no matter what chaos swir swirls around your life, I'm with you. I'm for you. And you can always come back to me. This is why the story of the prodigal son is so important. He did nothing to earn his father's embrace and love. And yet the father said, just come back and I'll love you just as you were when you were in my house. Psalms 139 puts it so beautifully. It says this. Our faith may often slip away from our sight. But it does not slip away from God who gave it to us in the first place. So you may feel like he's left you. But just because you feel that, it doesn't mean that he has. The truth only comes into focus for many of us when we come into community. When we begin to process our thoughts with other people, we begin to ask, what does the word say about this? What does God say about this? Who does God say that I am? Because listen, some of us, the reason that we're still fighting this is because we don't have a friend like the scripture teaches us. Pastor Proverbs 17, 7 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother or sister is born for adversity. That's a true friend. A friend that says, it doesn't matter what your life looks like, I'm with you. And can I tell you something? The only way that you find those friends are people that are already walking in community with other people, loving and serving the Lord. Because they begin to realize one thing, when you start to come into community with those types of people, those types of people just realize, man, everybody's broken, and these people are going to hurt me, but I'm going to overlook it because they're human. <laughs> and you begin to find true family. Number three, last but not least, this might be the most important one, especially if you're dealing with depression. Get out of bed and go for a walk. Get out of bed and go for a walk. There's an intimate connection between the body and the soul. But when you're in depression, depression says, isolate yourself, lock yourself in the room, and don't talk to anybody. Right? Can I tell you something? God has designed creation to revive you. I come alive again when I get on a trail or simply when I go on a walk. It's not like there's incredible scenery here in Crowley. <laughs> but there's something about being outside. There's something that awakens in my spirit. I started training for a half marathon and I'm nowhere near where my wife is. But there's something about going on a run for me that's just like, especially on the days that I don't want to do it, I wish I could tell you, like, the past 14 days, I've just gotten outside every single day, and I have ran, and I've enjoyed every single, that'd be a lie. <laughs> but after every run, there's something that comes back alive. Why? Because I'm taking care of myself. And listen, depression will say, isolate, hole in, inside, close out the blinds, watch TV, drown yourself out. Man, that just eats your soul away. Because here's the crazy thing. If you think that you need more sleep, try that. Wake up tomorrow and you'll think you'll still need more sleep. 
It's a never-ending cycle. So something has to change. I found that one of the most effective methods for increasing my faith begins with my body. Because what does Paul teach us in the very beginning? You've got to fight off the flesh. And your flesh will often say, no, you don't need to be around people. You don't need to be outside. Nobody's going to understand what you're walking through. You don't need to be open. There have been many stressful, anxious days. Can I tell you, sometimes in the only way that I know how to deal with it is go on a run and pray. And it begins to release some things. The problem is when you don't have that outlet, you're going to find something else that will fill it. You'll drink too much. You'll medicate. You'll numb. You'll find something. Because you're stressed, right? <laughs> you got to find something to fill it. Charles Spurgeon, who was one of the great Baptist preachers, he's actually one of the first that we know of that had one of the first what we'd call mega church in the 1800s before amplification, before microphones. He had 10,000 people come to his church. How I many know that'd be a little bit of weight? <laughs> be some stress? He said this. He was a man who often dealt with depression. He said this, a day's breathing of fresh air upon the hills or a few hours ramble in the beech woods, umbrageous calm would sweep the cobwebs out of the brain of scores of our tolling ministers who are now but half alive, a mouthful of sea air, a stiff walk in the wind's face, would not give grace to the soul, but would yield oxygen to the body, which is the next best thing. Can I tell you something? God loves you even when you don't feel like it. And God can handle your life even when you don't feel like he can. And sometimes, to get out of that black cloud that you're in, it starts with something so simple. Get out of bed. Make a commitment. Maybe just start there. I'm going to get out of bed this morning. I'm going to make some coffee, and I'm going to sit outside. And I'm going to enjoy the fact that my fingers still move, the sun came up another day, I'm able to sit here, I'm able to breathe, I'm able to be alive, I'm able to be thankful that I'm here. There's going to be days where you don't feel like it, and there's going to be days where you say, Pastor Zach, that's not going to do anything for me. You're not going to feel any progress if you can't do anything consistently. You won't. So if you say, well, I tried it two days in a row and it didn't work, keep doing it. Remember, we all have the best intentions. <laughs> we all want to see it happen. But just 20 minutes and the sun can do wonders for your soul that has been so darkened. And listen, if you're in that place this morning, I'm not here to cast shame on you. I'm not even here to tell you that you shouldn't be there. Some of you have walked through some pretty tough things. You've walked through some difficult times. You've had to face some things that, let's be honest, we weren't built to face. But you're walking through them. And you're going through them, and God sees you. He knows you. He's not blinded to your suffering. And this is why winning the battle in our mind is so important. 
So may start by simply today, if you have any homework, just go on a walk. <laughs> Put the device down, turn the TV off, silence yourself. Don't be like the man in quicksand trying to frail himself around. What do I do? I don't know how to make this work. Let me read another book. Let me read, let me do this. Just stop. <laughs> Listen. If you can stop long enough, I'll close with this. If you can stop long enough, you'll begin to see that God was with you the entire time. They never left you. And you begin to look at the journey that's behind you and go, oh my goodness. All that pain, all that suffering, but God is so good because he's been with me. He hasn't left me. And he's going to continue to be with me.